0: Welcome for another great episode of Talk to Tatiana. And today I have Travel with me. Travel, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tatiana. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Travel, why don't you share with us who you are, what you do, and where you are in the world?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Travel Simpson. Uh, I'm based out of Toronto, Canada, for those who are foreigners. And then for those who really know the city, I actually live out of a small town called Mississauga, or not small, but just outside of. Uh, the gta Uh, i'm the president and founder of the drive group Uh, we started out as a trading think tank studying market moves and derivatives trading uh, back in 2016. we've since evolved to sort of professional consulting venture capital investment as well as real estate development investment and always trying to scale forward but we're very happy growing a small team love working with businesses and and scalability models uh, would be uh, our, our biggest focus
0: awesome and how did you get to do that
1: you know, it's very interesting. I I love telling this story because it is it is a young man's story.
0: All right, we just had a little bit of a sound issue, so we're back. Sorry about that, Travell. Uh, would you please say it over?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. How, how did I get here? Young man's story at a New Year's Eve party. Saw a guy that I knew from church uh, buying copious bottles of champagne. Uh, beautiful women. Uh, you know the the classic story. The women wanted to be with him. The men wanted to be his friend. I asked him what he did. He said he managed uh, money in the the markets. Uh, I took his card, uh, made a call to him that week. He talked to me about derivatives trading, uh, wanted me to join his team. I ended up realizing his team perhaps wasn't for me, uh, but was addicted to the industry and started that journey in 2014 with my tax return. Uh, So I was about 23 at the time. uh, And fortunately, uh, by the time I was uh, 25, I was able to register uh, the drive group. And by the time we were 27, we were really, or by the time it was 2017, so it's 26, we had really been scaling it forward. Uh, so now we sit here 2023 and, uh, just the, the, the results of uh, a lot of years of good hard work and, and a good team.
0: Awesome. Terrific. And so when you, what type of businesses or people do you, businesses were actually both. do you work with, um, primarily?
1: So my thing, uh, in 2017, I also took on the challenge of being the head of operations for a tech company. Uh, They were developing an app that worked in both the real estate and crypto spaces. Uh, So I love technology. I love scalable uh, industries. I like the concept of a new emerging industry where we can get sort of a a footprint, or if you're a business that's in an established industry, but are ready to scale, those would be places that I love. So not always service industries, but definitely tech that have high verticals uh, or disruptive, uh, techno- uh, 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 disruptive sort of tools in existing industries. Um, those would be our our expertise. But yeah, if you're if you're in IT, if you're if you're a startup, and you have an app of any kind, you have a, 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 a augmented service of any kind. Uh, chances are, you're right up our wheelhouse.
0: Awesome. And what do you? You know, we've talked just before we started recording. We talked about kind of um, what you know, how to piss off an accountant and why, you know, why it's important, right? Why it's important not to, and how an accountant is really the centerpiece of, of a business. Um, From an investor perspective, from a, an investor, private equity uh, perspective, what do you, what do you think about that and what do you look for in a business? And um, yeah, elaborate on that, please.
1: You know, for, for me, or I think for the team, A philosophy that we like is a strong balance sheet. Um, I used to work in logistics. uh, And if you know anything about logistics, they have high expenses. They run ridiculously high expenses, their insurance costs, driver costs, maintenance costs. uh, But those businesses run because of the accountants, because there's a clear, clean understanding that, yeah, we're going to burn high, but we're going to run high. And that that difference is where we're going to exist as a business. Um, and it's all about knowing customers you can get. So perfect example. I'm I'm not giving away any trade secrets. Dan Ross, huge logistics company here in Canada. Uh, they, uh, not, I don't want to say gave up, but they license out their intra us, uh, market because they realized they didn't want to pay a lot of those borders. So if you get something coming from the States to Canada, Dan Ross will do a handoff, but they're not going across the border. Same thing going the other way. They'll do a handoff to an American freight company, that's just where they want to mitigate costs to offset what they consider might be lost business. They're the dedicated freight provider for McCain's who delivers fries all across the country. So I, when I looked at it from that perspective, what I appreciated was a business that wanted to be a master of one thing and then only good at other things. They knew how to pick their spots. What I see a lot of times with companies, uh, perhaps that have poor balance sheets or uh, are, are not uh, right to be accelerated their focus is too wide. So me as an investor, I don't know what to double down on. I don't know what we're speeding up here. I could appreciate what businesses need to do to survive, but that is sometimes not what businesses need to do to get acquired. Many times when an is coming into a company, they're saying, hey, look, we're going to invest, but we're doubling down on product number one. We're going to discontinue products number two, three, and four. And your balance sheet has to reflect that you as a founder or you as an owner at least has a sensitivity to understanding that. That sometimes what you do to generate cash flow is not the future long-term uh, identity of your business.
0: Yeah, and I, I like that. Absolutely agree with it too. Um, oftentimes businesses, and this is true for accounting firms as well, yeah. where accounting firms wanna do um be the you know jack of all trades. and and serve the, whatever business comes through the door. But the problem is that then you're master of none. So I absolutely agree with, with that. And I'm not talking about necessarily niching down in a particular industry, uh, which in my opinion is not a great way to, um, to, to do things because, you know, I worked at a door company where, uh, newbies did not cut their fingers off, but on the machine, you know, like a milling machine. Um, but, uh, but the pros did. and so. That's why I'm not a big fan of niching down, but I am a big fan of offering a limited number of products that you're really good at and being yeah. the best at those products.
1: I mean, let me so ask absolutely. you this question as, a, as as an accountant who's looking at it on the front end. First thing you look at for to be healthy uh, in a company that, that you're going to work with, what is it to you the first sign of health?
0: <laughs> Retained earnings.
1: <laughs> Retained earnings, okay. So sort of growth year over year. And do you look for that to have a percentage rate of growth or is it sort of industry specific?
0: Well, for me, I look at the overall, well, first I look at uh, the books. I see, you know, I look at, I look to see how the balance sheet is leveraged, how much of it is leveraged. I once, uh, I've once done a due diligence on a, on an acquisition um, of the buyer. So my, um, my client was the buyer and uh, the retained earnings on the balance sheet were negative million dollars or something like that and so (laughs) but that just says that it's you know the business owner has been stripping the business of all the cash and that's why they were being acquired and they were you know we'd actually didn't we actually walked away from that deal because of what i've done but uh you know retained earnings for me is a big deal but also so is the balance sheet like you said i'm looking to see what assets are there what is their fair market value? What are the liabilities and how much and what are the payments? And then is there a cash flow forecast? Yep, yep. <laughs> that's, that's really yep. for me, it's the two biggest things. Retained earnings and cash flow forecast. In terms of growth, um, I would take consistently steady, almost no growth company over um, hyper growing company any, any day of the week. And the reason is that for me, okay. you know, I um, don't care as much about growth there's going to be growth whether you know you want it or not, but okay. I care more about predictable revenue, um, consistent wow. revenue, consistent expenses, and maybe better processes and things like that where you can squeeze out the profit without necessarily building the top line. Because what a lot of business owners do, and I'm sure you will agree with it, they, mm-hmm. they, they say, oh, we're going to be at 2 million this year. I'm like, that doesn't impress me. What impresses me is how much of the 2 million will be profit hmm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it's not it's not what you made. It's what you keep, right? Um, a lot of businesses went under after driving huge revenue years, but they're they're still upside down. Um, exactly. I think I always look to operation costs and wages. I once looked at a company they had taken in seed investment four point five million dollars. It was about two years later they were looking for new uh, a new investor to come in to you know they they burned through. They had burned through the $4.5 million. So I said, okay, let me take a look. Let me take a look at your capital. Like, where did the money go? Uh-huh. Uh huh. 65% of the $4.5 million went to operating cost. Of that 65%, 90% of it was wages. The rest was rent and, and certain online tools. Uh, and I, I simply could not believe it. You guys paid yourself into nothingness and and it really started top down the CEOs were taking high salaries and I tell every one of my founders don't take a high salary but take your owner's dividend every quarter yeah. if your company's yeah. winning take you know take your pound of flesh but if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to bleed if you're going to bleed this thing uh, to pay your wage and, and go to the country club uh, chances are I don't think you understand the the requisite sacrifice of growing a business
0: yeah exactly absolutely 100% agree with that and and unfortunately we see this much more often The problem is that with the traditional accounting model where an accountant deals with 300 to 900 clients, um, nobody has an extra five minutes a year to look at your business and to help you actually grow it. But we are Mm. the right people to help you grow it if we know how to coach you and how to help you be the better CEO. But the problem is this notion of the accountant being um, commodity has really... Mm -hmm. um, really created a disservice not only to accountants you know lives and health and whatever but also to the businesses because in in America 50% of businesses fail within 5 years that's a known statistic. Yep. And so and the reason that they fail number one is there's no pro, there's no market for their product so wrong product wrong market and yep. number two is running out of cash running out of cash. Yep. <clears throat> so I-
1: yeah I mean, it, it, what I what I liken that to, I, it, was, it was a couple of years ago when I was first starting out the drive group. Um, I, I was having a conversation with this guy. He was in the insurance business. And he said, he gave me one piece of advice. I, I remember to this day, he says, uh, good business is not industry specific. Smart businesses run the same way. I don't care if you're selling boats, selling TVs, Correct. selling flooring. Uh, I, don't, I don't. Hey, I don't care if you're selling lifestyle advertising. I don't. I don't care if you're Tinder, right? Selling <laughs> selling relationships. Smart businesses run smartly. Um, and I, I remember retaining that and thinking, you know what? A lot of times in the beginning, when you're a founder, when you're just starting out, an accountant is a is a dose of medicine that feels too aggressive, because they're that. They're always that dose of reality. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, they're always that. And and then you always want to write it off and say, you don't understand the industry. You don't understand what we're doing. But I always go back to that piece of advice. You know, good businesses are not industry specific and all good businesses have somebody who knows the numbers. And that's what your accountant is there to do to help you to understand the numbers, to let you know, we're not doing that right now. we got to prepare for what's going to happen tomorrow. But it maybe it feels as if, you know, I know that the series is called how to Uh, how to piss off an accountant. I think that the concern (laughs) in our culture has been that the accountant and the founder have been taught that they're in competition as opposed to in partnership.
0: Yeah. It should be a partnership. And, you know, I don't necessarily expect you to, to tell me how to piss off an accountant in your interview, (laughs) but, but I do appreciate the inside look from somebody who's looking at how to turn around a business or invest or, buy a business or what you know whatever the setup may be because I've certainly you know dealt with the my share of oh, all of those people um uh, with you know for a client for example but mm-hmm. um but I absolutely appreciate your your insight into that and um it's more you know I think that and, and I don't know if you really agree with this or not um sure. I believe that there are two things in business you can never delegate and number 1 is your cash flow meaning you like hmm. my CEOs that I work with uh, we always I always teach them how to manage their cash flow and how to like some of them look at their books every day look at their cash every day they plan they strategize mm-hmm. they they are upfront with the vendors if they need a little delay they don't just not pay but they're like listen I'll pay you next week I'm waiting for an influx of cash whatever that situation may be that's what really builds a CEO for me. And, and number mm-hmm. two is uh, knowing why, knowing your why, kind of knowing your unique selling proposition um, mm-hmm. and having everybody align with it, your mission, your proposition, whatever that is. But mm-hmm. like you said, not being jack of all trades, master of none, but being somebody who's actually knows what they're really good at, at one or two or three things and stay mm-hmm. good, great, great at them and then mm-hmm. discontinue everything else.
1: I mean, that's what's always hard. Founders—if you think of great founders—they sometimes make bad CEOs because a founder is a visionary that probably galvanizes people around them by showing that they can almost do everything. And a CEO is a conductor. Their ability to delegate from the sideline, they're a coach, they're they're a motivator. There's something—it's a different skill set, right? Uh, a founder has to be a visionary in spite of the evidence. A CEO has to take the evidence and plan a vision. There's, you know, they're, they're, it's two totally different skill sets. And I think that when we're looking at investing on our side, it's not, you know, is the founder a CEO? Because maybe they're not. But do they have the team around them? Have they put inside the necessary pieces, the necessary advisors? How's their C-suite that will help them look more and more like a CEO as time goes on? I think of the greatest example of this Um, is Facebook. I never give the answer because I always want people to do their homework, but look at Facebook's (laughs) time. Mark Zuckerberg comes in. They have an incredible amount of growth at Facebook. Uh, Then about three years ago, right before they lost billions of dollars doing meta, they lost their head of business. One person. I I would encourage everybody to go take a look. Who's Facebook's head of business? uh for the past uh 15 years how big did the company get how good did the company run one person leaves and uh you have the meta disaster and mark zuckerberg was there the whole time does that say that mark zuckerberg is not a great ceo no but there was a time when as a founder he knew he needed the right horse sort of calling the shots that changes and all of a sudden he's sitting in front of congress trying to explain the metaverse that quite frankly wasn't ready but you know that it's all you know that, that could all be into the ether. But I look at that example, even on massive, huge, billion dollar companies, that truth can play itself out. Great founders sometimes are not great CEOs. They need those tools around them. And I think we're on my side, we're always looking for that. Are you coachable? Are you willing to bring on the right people? And a lot of times that health is found in the balance sheet and also the history of their C suite. Where'd you find these people? Who'd you pick them? Are you pick, taking the best talent from competitors so you could learn, re, you know, rehash your culture, grow your culture, or are you going totally status quo? Because I think the idea is that uh, since 1970, uh, 80% of the Fortune 500 companies are different, or something like that. It's it's a it's a high number, and and that's terrifying, right? Because <laughs> 500 of our greatest success stories couldn't stick the landing uh, when when push came to shove. Um, a, a story I tell people all the time, people are talking about banning TikTok, uh, which I understand. TikTok's a huge social media platform. I, I encourage everybody to explain to me how Vine could die in two to three years. Vine was a social media video sharing platform, and TikTok's the biggest thing going. And and the the distance between them was seven years apart. I'm assuming it has something to do with the business, not the product. So. These are just uh, ramblings from, from a venture capitalist.
0: <laughs> I love it. I absolutely agree with everything you said because it makes perfect sense to me. And you know, I've lived it. I've worked with small businesses for 18 years. And yeah. I've seen different kinds of leaders, different kinds of CEOs. Some of, my, some of my best CEOs, you know, I'll give you an example. I've worked with two CEOs in the, in the, during COVID. I mean, I've worked with one of them for 10 years. i worked with another one. Um, at that point in 2020 was maybe one or two years Mm -hmm. and both were in the fashion industry, right? So it's, you know, it's not an easy business as you may know, retail businesses, never, especially with fashion, people have to try stuff on high return rate, high exchange rate and that kind of stuff. And you pay processing fees when people return. So you generally lose money on the, on the returns, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, one of them has been in business for almost 30 years. It's going to be 30 years next year. And the other one um, has been in business for maybe five years total. And the one, you know, when COVID hit, um, one of them, the one that's been in business for five years said, we're going to cut your retainer, my retainer in half. Um, The other one who's been in business for 30 years said, "Um, well, we have to make sure we have to do some forecasting to make sure that none of our employees loses their job, that we can afford everything and do and kind of pivot our business. And by the way, if you need money, just let me know. And that's the Mm. difference between this, between the two CEOs, you know, same Mm. industry, same, but different approach. One is a Mm -hmm. coward because, you know, he like, he doesn't even fire his own employees. The other one is a super strong um, CEO who's been around long enough to know what's important in business. And I'm sure you see (laughs) that all the time in your, you know, when you deal with founders and CEOs, I mean, yeah.
1: I would say the greatest gift for me, just, just saying that, and this is going to sound terrible. Okay. So the greatest gift is I spent, uh, like I said, I spent a lot of years as the head of operations at another company. So I spent four years as somebody else's hatchet man, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's like we used to joke and say I was Ray Donovan, you know, I'd get tapped on the shoulder. If we're, if we're downsizing, I'm telling the staff, if that's just the way they were as a CEO, they were more of a vision caster, not, not to, not to, not to, not to, make any judgment on that. But, you know, I was there to be on the ground to, to, to have, you know, to command the soldiers. And, uh, the skill that, that the sensitivity and the skill that that gave me drives that example. I have every belief that before 2017, stepping into those operation shoes, we run into a difficult time and I'm the CEO. It's easy to want to hide. You think, you know what? I delegate, I'll delegate this one away too. You know, you send out an email or a note those years those spent in operations looking people in the eye knowing the responsibility you have not just to your staff but to your partners um one thing that i've learned is that everybody knows when it's a tough time everybody knows when it's a tough time your staff knows because especially in a in a client-facing business they see nobody's coming through the door they see the empty tables they see that the phones aren't ringing as strong as they used to they see that you're everybody knows when it's a tough time but everybody respects if you can look them in the eye. everybody respects if you're, if you look them in the eye because at the end of the day there's a social contract that is beyond money that exists when you are the founder of a company or when you're working with other people which says faith in me faith in you the under the principle of how we'll handle one another so I, I am a big believer in that that when you talk about that that five year and that 30 year story it's it's it is the it is the gift and the and the in the way I view business, um, it is both the gift and the curse of, of the leader, of the founder. The hardest conversations got to be had with you in the room, and the truth is that you need to have a small enough ego that some of the best conversations probably happen without you in the room, because you got to empower your other people. You're in, in a weird way, you're there to be the hatchet man.
0: You yeah. know,
1: you're the janitor, um, and the janitor doesn't get the glory, but they are vital, vital vital to the success and the optics of anything.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it has to do with also, you know, running a business for a little bit longer, but also it not being about the money or only about the money, you know, I think that that's what for me, that's what was evident um, from this experience that I've, you know, (laughs) I've had with these two clients, but it has to do with, I'm in it because I want to create clothing that makes a certain demographic look great. Mm-hmm. Or I'm here because this, types of, um, this type of clothing makes a ton of money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, they always, we used to have this. I used to play football. Coach always used to say you got to know your why. Uh, you have to know your why because it's easy to play when you're fresh, when you're happy, uh, when you're up by 30. Uh, but when you're in the fourth quarter, you're exhausted. It kind of hurts all over. You're down 10. You got to believe in something bigger than the score to go play this game. Absolutely. Um, you got to know your why. And I think it's the same in business. Got to know your why.
0: No, have you, I don't know if you've heard of uh, uh, the two books that I've been uh, recently. I mean, I read a lot of business books and just books in general, self-help and mm-hmm. self-development because I always learn. I think that's what's been a part of my success. I always keep learning. But mm-hmm. one of them was um, Five Levels of Leadership. Okay. It has, has been a phenomenal book. And uh, for some reason, it's listed in Christian Literature has nothing to do with religion, but uh, but but I think because the author who wrote it is a reverend or was a reverend or whatever. Okay. But very very cool. Talks about the five levels of leadership and how leader style five trains other leaders to become you know to become leaders, which is what you've mentioned about the small ego. Like if you're a leader five, like level five leader, you there is a lot of space at the top so like a lot of you know a lot of leaders don't let others grow as leaders and here mm-hmm. it's really um, it's really important i think to uh to remember what why you're in it and then another book is um simon Sinek's start with why i mean the kind of the title speaks for itself but uh mm-hmm. but i've just recently listened to the book and i was you know very impressed in a sense that i really loved how the book was written Mm -hmm. um, and, and red. And, um, it really makes a lot of sense. And some most, not most of the time, but a lot of time the people, companies go out of business because they don't know their why, or maybe they've lost it. Maybe the founder knew and everybody else knew, and then they've lost it and that's it.
1: Yep. I agree. Uh, One thing I always tell founders only because I I know we're, we're coming against it just in terms of why I like that type of leadership. Uh, an entrepreneur or a founder's goal should always be for the company to be bigger than them. And and that's hard when the company starts growing. You know, founders like being rock stars. They get invited to all the parties. They do all the interviews. They, you know, they drive all the fast cars. But at the end of the day, you know, you're playing for the badge. The yeah. business is the badge. Uh, the, the greatest service that you do for your business is providing it an opportunity to go on in spite of yourself. So that's why I always believe in creating new leaders. Create. If something happens to me, there's a core team of five that should be chomping at the bit, ready to go on vision on task and the company continues uh if it stops with me then i think i've done something wrong as a leader and i look for that uh when investing in other businesses can this thing go and how long does it go and how far does it go without you and that is a direct result uh, of your choices
0: yeah i absolutely agree and um another book that i've just recently read um that that brought up something that you just touched on oh can't remember. Um, Maybe it will come back to me, but, uh, but growing other leaders and also making a business run without you, I think is important uh, because like you said, you know, if you're and it applies to accounting firms, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of people, um, you know, think that when you're buying an accounting firm, like they have this ego when they build an accounting firm. And so uh, they build it around their name. Um, I specifically chose a different name for my firm, um, because I didn't want, I wanted to, I wanted it to to exist without me one day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when that day is going to come. Maybe it's, you know, five, 10, 20 years, but I wanted to exist without me. And for, for clients not to feel the difference for them to not even care or know what happens. And so I think, um, ego is a, is a big problem, um, for many people, because growing their business is because of what you've said, because it mm-hmm. prevents them from growing a business um, the way they want to be the the way they want it to exist without them because what happens if something you know if you if something happens to you, what happens then mhm that's the that's the big question
1: yep yeah, I think look it's a necessity i, I don't want to sound insensitive when you're first starting out and when you first get there, you first break through. I understand it needs you. It needs every single part of you. It's gonna take every single part of you. The goal has to be to to, to change that though. Um, you, you gotta wanna give some, I don't wanna say give some of it away, but the company has to outgrow your ability to keep it all together, right? If you gotta figure, if it's this big, I can keep it in my hand. If it's this big, it's a bit harder. Once it gets the size of this room, it would be impossible for me to keep every component and every aspect in its, in its shape, which is why you gotta empower other leaders. and. And delegate and trust. You know, teach them qualities, teach them values, and then delegate and trust. Don't look for it to be done exactly the way that you would do it, but look for the result to be close to what you'd expect. And you know, these these are things that uh, I think are important.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, sorry, just uh, your sound just like changed slightly, but it was you know it was good. So, um, sorry about that. No, it's fine. Hopefully, hopefully, the sound issues will will not persist. Well,
1: I trust the sound issues will not persist. They will. Not, I. I. I declare it now that they will not exist in the in the final recording uh, of this.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, thanks so much for you know for sharing your perspective because a lot of times people, business owners, don't even consider the position of an investor. You know, I work with somebody, meaning work with them because they do turnaround loans, and we created this fractional CFO training for accountants. Um, together, and the mm-hmm. reason is that he works with turnaround businesses because, um, and he noticed that a lot of accountants don't do fractional CFO work correctly. They don't do like a bunch of the stuff that needs to be done because CPAs have huge egos, and they're like, "Oh, we know how to do fractional CFO service." And then, sure. um, and then they don't do the balance sheet management. They, they don't do the the forecasts when when it comes to liability payments and equipment service and all of those things. And so. I think it's important to remember um, what you mentioned that uh, ego is, I, f- I think that ego is the number one uh, enemy that anyone can mm. have um, to be mm-hmm. successful in business and profession, whatever that is. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. An unchecked ego is fatal, right? If, if uh, the, um, every, every, every business founder, every person with ambition, every entrepreneur is born with a fatal touch of ego and the challenge as they mature and as they learn is to keep that in check. It's not that you don't have it, but it's that you got to treat it. You got to make it dormant. You got to, got to control it, but you, we're all born with it. It's all in there waiting for us. And uh, it's, it's about us to keep it at bay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I think what we just recorded with you um, is a good reality check for someone who's listening, maybe thinking of starting a business, maybe already started a business. I think it's, a good, like you said. What did you say? Dose of reality. I wrote it down because yep. I really liked it.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 It's
0: not just the accountant who gives you the dose of reality. It's also an investor. And you know, I wrote a, I wrote a book a number of years ago. It, uh, it launched, and uh, there there is this there is a chapter on whether or not you should have investors. And my initial inclination was no, don't have investors. But then I interviewed a client of mine who, for years, has been Doing, you know, getting some angel investments here and there, and developing his business model, and it's completely changed from 2011 to today, 2023. But in the Mm -hmm. interview, he said to me, "I think everybody should have an investor." And I and I thought, "How does that make sense?" And he said, "Well, when there's one person, there's a lot of people who are ready to give you advice because people love giving advice. But if there's one person who's ready to write a check." To your business, that means your business model is solid. And that made sense Mm -hmm. to me. So I'm wondering, how do you feel about that?
1: I think, you know, I I believe in investment for scalability, not for creation. I know what I'm saying. It it might not, right? But this is just me. I got to know that you took it from your pocket, even if it was your last five bucks, and put it on the line and bet for it. I don't care if you're only servicing one client, two clients, three clients, four clients, but I can't be your first call. It can't go from paper uh, to my pockets. It's gotta be something first, even if it's just online. And then okay, let me cut, let's cut a check and let's get this thing really going. So I like the idea of investors for scalability. I always do. Because I think you can go fast alone, but far together. So I do believe it it, it does have to eventually become this monolithic. Thing that is the hopes and ambitions of a group of people, but I I like the idea of a founder in the beginning with a single vision going out there, and, and 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 at least proving a concept. So what does that look like? If you're a if you want a restaurant, did you bring your meals to a to a a town fair and 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 get get some groundwork going there, and then now let's cut a check for a restaurant? If you did the town fair, did you then do a food truck, and then okay now let's go giddy up and go get a restaurant? Um, did you, you know, forget town fair. Did you host a dinner party for your family and friends, you know, ghost kitchen style you're doing that once a month. Okay. Let's cut a check and let's go get a restaurant. Um, same thing with clothes, anything consumer facing, but at your level with what you could do, did you put it on the line? If you did, then I'll, I'll put it on the line with you, but we both got to, we both have to see this thing as, you know, as something that was worthy of our
0: dollars. Absolutely. 100%. Right. Um, and, you know, as we wrap up the episode, I would I would love to ask this question of uh, my guests. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would be the one thing that you would tell yourself?
1: <laughs> oh, just one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. One thing I would tell myself, it would have been when I was in grade 11. So I'd have been about Uh, yeah. 15 turning 16. Yeah. 15 turning 16. So I'd have been 15 years old, 16 years old. Uh, it's around the time you're looking, thinking about college applications, at least, at least where I am, you kind of think about it in the 11th grade to lock it in because you submit halfway through the 12th grade. You're already in right there. So you think about it early, uh, what you do in school doesn't have to be what makes you money. What you do in school does not have to be what makes you money. Uh, had I, had I accepted that sooner, I might've found my career faster, but I was perhaps beholden to a more traditional thought that said, good grades, good job, good house, good <laughs> wife, good life, good kids. <laughs> so I, I think I initially picked a major that I thought would parlay to employment. Um, and now I'm an entrepreneur. So obviously my plans at 17 didn't quite stick the landing. So I'd say that uh, what you do in school doesn't have to be what makes you money. It does have to be something though that piques your interest. It does have to be that you're willing to start and finish. It does have to be something where you're willing to network, do the extra work, stay present. Because I think that those things will get you more out of the school experience should you choose to go than just picking something you think will get you a job. That would be what I would tell myself at uh, 15, 16.
0: I love it. It very much lines with, with with everything I believe in. Um, yeah and I think that some people need to hear that uh, so many of us hold hold ourselves to to this career choice uh you know one of the books that I read and I think it was maybe even Simon Sinek's um start with why where he talked about some of the people telling their parents at like 10 oh, I want to be a doctor and then sticking with it even if they even when they realized they hated because they mm-hmm. you know told their parents so mm-hmm. I absolutely mm-hmm. um Agree with everything you've said. So, thanks so much for sharing that. Pleasure. Well, Travel, it's been a pleasure to have you on the call, to have um, to record this episode with you. I, I had a lot of fun. Thanks so much for your personality and for showing up and sharing some golden nuggets with us. And, Absolutely. and yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For those who want to follow up, if you liked what I said, uh, you could find uh, myself and my team at on Instagram at the Drive Group Inc. At the Drive Group Inc., or you can check out our website, uh, thedrivegroup.ca, where you'll see other content. Some of the stuff we do on YouTube, we do long form, short form, informational content on both business and finance. Uh, so you can check us out there.
0: Awesome! Thanks so much, and everybody who's listening or watching. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please tune uh, tune in next week for another great episode of Talk to Tatiana. See ya.